Sira, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Hafiz Safwet Khalilovich. Chapter 7 Byzantine Persian Wars over Yemen Yemen, located in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula, was for generations ruled by the sovereigns from the Banu Himyar dynasty. One of their kings, Dhunuvas, disliked his people's paganism and eventually converted to Judaism, to which he was induced by the Jews who had settled in Yemen. Historians agree that it was this Himyarite king that the Quran referred to in the story of the makers of the trench. Ashabul Ukhdud. Damned were the makers of the trench, the makers of the fuel stoked fire. They sat down to watch what they were doing to the believers. Their only grievance against them was their faith in God, the mighty, the praiseworthy, to whom all control over the heavens and earth belongs. God is witness over all things. The 85th chapter, verse 4 to 9. Historians state that this is a story of a pious Christian named Guaymian, who had emigrated from Byzantium, settled in Najran, a town on the present-day border between Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and converted to Christianity all people of that town by his piety, virtue, and good manners. When the news of the converts and the ever stronger influence of Christianity reached Dhunavas, he went to Najran and warned its citizens that they had to either convert to Judaism or be killed. When they refused, Dhunavas ordered that wide and deep trenches be dug in which fire would be fueled and that whoever disobeyed his order about conversion be thrown into the trenches and burned. According to historians, some 20,000 people were killed in that manner. Some managed to escape, some managed to escape, and they sought help from Byzantine Emperor Justinian, with whom they pleaded to take revenge for the slaughter of the Christians in Najran. Since Byzantium was too far from Yemen, the Byzantine emperor wrote to the Negus, that is the king of Abyssinia, asking him to avenge the Yemenite Christians. At that time, the 6th century CE, Abyssinia was at the height of its power, dominating the maritime trade and imposing its influence upon its neighbors. The Abyssinian kingdom was an ally of the Byzantine Empire, and the advocate of Christianity on the Red Sea, just as the Byzantine Emperor was its advocate in the Mediterranean. When the Abyssinian king received the Byzantine Emperor's message, he asked the Emperor to provide him with ships to carry his troops across the Red Sea. When that was done, the Abyssinian army, commanded by Ariat, crossed to the Arabian Peninsula and occupied Yemen. One of the commanders of this campaign was Abraham el Esham, who became a Abyssinian governor in Yemen after Ariat's death. 
He was the one who afterward led the army into the hinterland of the Arabian Peninsula with the aim of destroying the Kaaba. The focus of pilgrimage of many Arab tribes from different corners of the Peninsula. However, Abraham and his troops were destroyed, and that event is referred to in the Quranic Surah, the Elephant. Abraham's successors ruled Yemen tyrannically. One of the descendants of the Himyar dynasty, whose name was Saif ibn the Yazan, approached the Byzantine emperor complaining of the injustice by the Abyssinians and pleading for the Byzantine governor to be sent to establish justice. However, the plea was turned down because of the alliance of Byzantium and Abyssinia. On his way back, Saif ibn the Azan made a stopover at the court of Numan ibn al-Munzir, Persian governor for Al-Hira in the surrounding lands of Iraq. Numan promised to take him to Persian emperor Khosrows, and he kept his promise. Khosrows welcomed them in his residence. His crown was too heavy to rest on his head, so it was attached to the sailing by a golden chain, and he would place his head under it. The coal skin representing a symbolic portrayal of the Persian emperor's power. After he was informed of the tyrannical rule of Abyssinians in Yemen, Khosrows hesitated for a while, but then decided to send to Yemen an army under the command of Wahriz, one of his best military commanders. The Persian army arrived in Yemen, vanquished the Abyssinians, and expelled them after their rule of 72 years. Yemen remained under Persian rule until the advent of Islam, the embracing of Islam by all Arab countries, and their entry into the Islamic State. Situation in the Arabian Peninsula, The map of the Old World which comprised three continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa, shows that the Arabian Peninsula occupies the central position. Arabia is equally distant from all three continents. That was one of the practical reasons why that very region was chosen as the center of Muhammad's mission as a prophet. But there are also numerous other reasons for it all deserving a study on their own. We shall now briefly describe the situation in the pre-Islamic Arabia. Some historians, such as Philip Hitti, divide the whole Arabian history into three main periods. The Sebao Himyariti period, ending at the beginning of the 6th century CE. The Jahiliyyah period, which in a sense extends from the creation of Adam, peace be upon him, down to the mission of Muhammad, peace be upon him, but more particularly covers the century immediately preceding the rise of Islam, the Islamic period extending to the present day. The third, the Islamic period extending, the Islamic period extending to the present day. Therefore, the period that preceded the prophethood of Muhammad, peace be upon him, is called the period of Jahiliyyah. This term usually translates 
as the time of ignorance or barbarism, actually meaning the period in which Arabia did not follow any law revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Unlike Yemen, in the south of the Arabian Peninsula, with notable Judeo-Christian and even Persian influences, the vast majority of the Arabian Peninsula did not prove a fertile ground, a fertile ground for spread of the religious call either Christian, Judaic, or Zoroastrian. The antagonism and disparate mutual conflicts of the numerous Christian sects are regarded as one of the main reasons why the vast majority of the Jahiriya Arabs refrained from taking sides with any Christian party. Arabs were pagans at that time. That is, they worshipped idols and, and generally speaking, did not accept either Judaism or Christianity. They were happy with their paganism, contented to follow in the footsteps of their ancestors, and prepared to leave both Christians and Jews alone as long as these were not interfering with their polytheistic religion. Thus idol worship continued to flourish among them and even to spread to the centres inhabited by their Christian and Jewish neighbours, namely Nejren and Yathrib. The Jews of Yathrib tolerated idol worship, coexisted with the pagan Arabs, and finally befriended them, forging mutually beneficial relations. Some scholars emphasize that polytheism most strongly appeals to weak souls in all times and places. A weak soul is by nature incapable of rising high enough to establish a connect with the supreme being which is greater than all that exists, with the exalted Creator and the Magnificent Lord. The weak soul therefore stops at a phenomenon like the sun or the moon or the fire, and awkwardly withdraws from rising beyond it to perceive the Creator. In their paganism and worship of idols, the Arabs followed many ways. Idolatrous practices were of great variety. Every tribe worshipped its own idol. Generally speaking, objects of worship fell into three categories. Metal and wooden statues, stone statues, and shapeless masses of stones that a tribe consecrated, considering it to be of divine origin. The deities had names, some of which are even referred to in the Quran. Most prominent among the idols were Al-Lat, Al-Uzza, and Menat, considered to be divine daughters, Isaf and Naila. Hubel was the greatest in the Arab pantheon and was placed in Mecca, inside the Kaaba. Pilgrims came to the Meccan shrine from all corners of the Arabian Peninsula, offering sacrifices. The idol worship was so widespread that in the Jahiliya period, in addition to such a great number of statues in and around Mecca, the Arabs used to adopt other statues or sacred stones for domestic worship. Almost every house in Mecca had its deity, an idol, large or small, which was the center of the household. As his last act on leaving the premises, especially if it was for a journey, 
a man would go to the idol and stroke it in order to obtain blessings from it. And this was the first act on returning home. They often carried their idols with them when they traveled. And some chronicles read that some Arabs would eat their idols made of dough when they got hungry on their journeys. All these statues, whether in the Kaaba, around it or scattered around the tribes or the provinces, were regarded as intermediaries between their worshippers and the supreme God. The Qur'an also refers to it. True devotion is due to God alone. As for those who choose other protectors beside Him, saying, We only worship them because they bring us nearer to God. God Himself will judge between them regarding their differences. God does not guide any ungrateful liar. Therefore, the pre-Islamic Arabs regarded the worship of idols as a means of getting closer to God, even though, in reality, that same worship had caused them to forget the true worship of God. Their approachment with God was becoming less and less direct, due to which they were gradually losing a sense of the future everlasting world. So many of them no longer believed in life after death. Such a state of mind brought them the widespread fratricidal wars, burying of living female children, prostitution, another negative phenomenon. The situation in the Arabian Pensilia before the birth of Muhammad peace be upon him was chaotic. As a matter of fact, it did not differ much from the global situation in the era. A glance at the circumstances in the world on the eve of Muhammad's prophethood suffices to realize that the state of affairs was far from good, with frequent wars, rabid intolerance of all kinds, racial, religious, territorial, linguistic, and universal poverty, caused by unjust distribution of resources held tight by the minority, while the majority possessed nothing. People forgot that they had common ancestors. Adam and Eve, the fratricidal hatred they were infatuated with often downgraded people to the level of beasts and made them follow predatory logic in everyday lives. Those who wanted to commit to spiritual life would go into seclusion and isolate themselves from the world, but they were the only ones to benefit from the seclusion as it did not bring any good to society. Both camps forgot that the human beings were made of body and soul, and that normal development should be provided to both aspects of human existence. The ideologies and religions of the era, like Judaism, Christianity, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, and idol worship, could not offer a solution for the accumulated problems of mankind. For that reason, the humanity needed a new leadership and a religion that would give it a general direction, show it both ways, the physical and the spiritual alike, and secure the conditions for a harmonious development of human body and soul. That harmony was made possibly by Islam.
a religion that the Almighty Creator revealed to the humanity through the prophethood of Muhammad. Peace be upon him.